morning, St. Barnabas. Today we'll be reading from Mark 10, verse 1 to 16. Mark 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. This is God's word. Good. Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see the uh, different fashions of masks uh, around the church congregation. I think we probably need a competition. Um, I think Ruby probably wins this morning, but um, actually I thought I did pretty well. I don't know what you thought, but um, this is rather smart, isn't it? Um, It's amazing how things have changed, isn't it? Anyway, Ruby, thank you for that reading. Will you bow with me and let's ask the Lord to help us as we come to his word together. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you speak to us through the words of Scripture. Thank you so much for the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the way that he reveals to us your mind and heart. And we pray now for minds that are active to receive that truth, for hearts that are open to understand it, and for wills to put it into practice. And we ask for your holy name's sake. Amen. Well, it has been quite a week, hasn't it, in global politics uh, with the uh, dramas around the US election, then of course the UK going into a second national lockdown this week, and people are asking all kinds of questions about what all this means for the future. 
And at times like this, it's always interesting, I think, when microphones are sort of shoved in the face of a political leader, or indeed a religious leader. And uh, interestingly, we have one of those moments before us in Mark's Gospel this morning. I hope you've got the passage open in front of you. Because uh, as we continue our journey through Mark, we find this morning that Jesus is aggressively ambushed by a group of Pharisees. And uh, they put this very explosive question in his face. Uh, Notice Jesus is not phased by that. He gives a very wonderful and a very powerful answer. And I do hope this morning that this is going to encourage all of us to trust him more and more. Of course, we all know, don't we, when the journalists asked Donald Trump a question, he very often gave an answer that was rude, uh, uninformative and decidedly unhelpful. But the answer Jesus gives is gracious, it's wise and helpful. Now, if you come with me to verse 1, you'll see that Jesus here is in distinctively Jewish territory. Uh, he was teaching the crowds, which, of course, he does again and again and again, because he wants people to know enough about God in order to both believe and to belong. And uh, then you'll see in verse 2 that some Pharisees come and they interrupt him with a question, and notice what the Bible says, in order to test him. And uh, the word test in the original language is the same word elsewhere translated as tempt. It appears four times in the Gospel of Mark, Uh, so you find it in chapter 1, where it's used of the devil who comes to test or to tempt Jesus, And then three times it's used of the Pharisees. They're testing or tempting Jesus. And here their testing or tempting question has to do with divorce. Now I must say that uh, knowing Jesus is now on the way to Jerusalem, we might think, well, why has this particular issue come up now? Why did Mark decide to include this at this particular moment in the Gospel? And I think the answer surely is that Mark wants to show us how very practical the teaching of Jesus is on this business of being a servant. We were praying about that earlier, weren't we, in our confession? Do you remember last week, Jesus said, if anybody wants to be first in the kingdom of God, they must be the very last and the servant of all. And I think here what Mark wants us to think about is what that means in marriage. What does it mean to be a servant in the context of marriage? What does it mean for a Christian disciple to take up their cross and follow Jesus in the context of marriage? Good question. Now, notice also, please, in your Bible, that here Jesus is in Herod's territory. And as you know, Herod has left his first wife for a woman called Herodias. And uh, Herodias left her first husband for Herod. So Herod and Herodias weren't remotely interested in being servants in their marriage. And given that context, 
I think it's pretty clear that the, the Pharisees are trying to make trouble for Jesus with Herod by getting him to say something that would be politically dangerous. In other words, what the Pharisees are trying to do is shorten the road to the cross. That's their objective, that's their game plan. Now Jesus is very masterful here because Jesus puts boundaries in place very quickly for the protection of vulnerable people. I'll explain that in a moment. And then in the next little section, towards the end of the passage, where they're bringing children to Jesus, Jesus opens the doors of the kingdom in order to welcome in the most insignificant people in the culture. So in this passage you've got two things. You've got the boundaries and you've got the doors. And if I was going to turn these 16 verses into two points this morning, it would be something like this. First, question. Uh, Is there room to make a few qualifications in marriage? Uh, We'll spend most of our time on that. And then very briefly at the end, we'll look at a second question arising from the passage, which is, is there room in God's kingdom for those with no qualifications? So just those two questions. Question one, is there room for a few qualifications in marriage? Now this is the pretty meaty section, I think, and we're dealing with a very serious issue. And I do want to ask you to work with me as we look at the text together. Because the question the Pharisees are asking is to do with marriage and divorce. And I realise as we begin that this is going to be a slightly difficult subject for some people this morning. Some of you will have been through a sad and painful time. You might indeed still be sad and hurting. So, can I say at the beginning, I believe you're going to find this passage comforting and not hurtful. Of course, there may be others listening this morning who think this subject isn't relevant to you because you're single or separated or widowed, and you might think, well, this is a talk for someone else, not me. But uh, I think as we go along, you're going to see that it is for you as well, because we're going to see the Jesus that I hope you trust and believe in, and why he is so very good and great. Now the question is there in verse 2. Can we all see verse 2 in our Bibles? Is it lawful, say the Pharisees, for a man to divorce, or literally in the original, to set loose his wife? Now, if we were to go back backwards in our Bibles into the book of Deuteronomy, the answer is, well, actually, there is a permission. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 24, we're told that Moses said, yes, there is a permission for divorce. But if you read that chapter, you'll discover two things. First, that a man has to have a really good reason for divorcing a wife. So the law in Deuteronomy 24 wasn't given to make divorce easier, it was given to make divorce authentic and reasonable. And the key word in Deuteronomy 24 is that divorce was permitted if the man, if the husband, finds something, and I quote, indecent, 
or improper in his wife. That's the key word. And uh, in Jesus' day, some people interpreted that very strictly, and uh, other people interpreted it rather loosely. Then the second principle in Deuteronomy 24 is that if a woman does get divorced from her husband and remarries, she's not permitted to return to the first husband. And I've always found that rather strange. Uh, If she's put away from her husband and she remarries, and then there's another divorce, Deuteronomy 24 says that she is not to return to her first husband. Why is that? Well, of course, the Bible says it's displeasing to God, and that's good enough reason. But it may well be that she's actually being protected from being returned, as it were, or thrown back to a man who might be abusive or unpredictable or unkind. In other words, Deuteronomy 24 is protecting a vulnerable wife from becoming a kind of marriage football. Now, because of the sinful nature that's common to all of us, uh, Jewish practices took this teaching as far as they possibly could. And so, there were some very strict people uh, in Jewish culture, they were known as the Shammai, and they said that the declaration that a wife is indecent meant that she had been unfaithful. But then there was another group in the Jewish world who were the kind of happy-go-lucky experts and they were called the Hillel. So here's how you remember it. Uh, The Shammai, beginning with the letter S, was super strict and the Hillel, beginning with the letter H, they were rather more happy-go-lucky. And they said, you see, that the husband could put the wife away, divorce her, for lots of different reasons. Uh, If you can believe it, uh, the list of legitimate reasons even included included burning the dinner. Uh, Or perhaps the husband found another woman that he thought was more attractive. Now friends, we need to remember that in a very patriarchal society, and Jewish society was extremely patriarchal, that that provision could easily be abused, especially by men. And because of sin, it was. And so it ended up like this. That a wife could be said to have committed adultery, but a man could never be accused of committing adultery. Can you believe it? Because he would simply quote Deuteronomy 24. That is how bad things had become. And uh, as we read Mark chapter 10, what we need to remember is that sin promotes self-interest. Sin promotes self-interest. I know that in my heart. I do hope you know that in your heart as well. And that's true, of course, for many people in marriage, but not everybody. Because many people will press on in really difficult marriages and they'll persevere all the way through to the end. But many, many people won't do that. And the question that Jesus is facing from the Pharisees is, how easy should it be to get out? And the priority of Jesus as he answers, and I think this should be every Christian's priority, and certainly the priority of every married Christian, 
It should be, how do I stay in, by the grace of God, in the bonds that God has created? Now, I want to pause at this point and say that in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is not, I repeat, not attacking the wounded. He's not here speaking to people in pain. Uh, He's not dumping on people who've gone through marriage breakdown. So he's not forgetting to be merciful. He's not forgetting to be gracious. Indeed, he's already told us back in Mark chapter 3 that all sin is forgivable. So hear that, church. All sin is forgivable. Now here, Jesus is responding to Pharisees. And these are not people who've come out of some terribly sensitive and difficult pastoral situation. You know, it's not as if they're coming to Jesus saying, ah, you know, we're trying to deal with this this really difficult marriage problem. We don't know what to do. Please, will you help us? It's not that. No, they've come with an utterly cynical question. And their plan is either that Jesus will widen the gates for divorce completely and make it much easier than Scripture says it is, or that he will rule it out altogether and get into trouble with Herod. So, if Jesus today was running marriage prep classes, what we learn from Mark chapter 10 is that he is absolutely committed to putting in place the best boundaries possible. Jesus would not be interested in the question that somebody asks in the marriage class along the lines of, well, you know, Jesus, if it doesn't go so well, what's the best way out? Or, or Jesus, what do you think about my prenuptial agreement? Or, uh, Jesus, what if the marriage isn't meeting my felt needs? Jesus is not interested in those questions. So, verse 3, there's Jesus' reply. What did Moses command you? And their reply, the Pharisees' reply in verse 4 is, well, Moses permitted divorce. Now, stay with me here. I know it's not easy with masks on, you're losing oxygen, but stay focused. When Jesus asked, what did Moses command you? The Pharisee's mind goes to Deuteronomy. Moses permitted divorce. But here's the thing. Moses also wrote another book in the Old Testament, didn't he? He wrote Genesis. And Jesus is thinking about Genesis. Because he quotes God's design for marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Come with me to verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So, friends, have you got the picture in this passage? In marriage, Jesus is thinking protection and perseverance. And the Pharisees are thinking exit and easy escape. One commentator, I think, summarises the situation very well indeed. He says this, 
The Pharisees want to talk about crash landings. Jesus wants to talk about great marriage flying. Does that make sense? See, they want to talk about the way out, uh, the escape. And Jesus wants to talk about blessing and the plan of God. Because in marriage, you see, God joins the man and woman together and he creates a brand new family. God does that. That's his plan. And it's not the main point, but please notice in passing that as far as God is concerned, only male and female can become one flesh. As far as God is concerned, there is no other kind of marriage. And what God joins is a a marriage between a man and a woman, and he makes them one. So the Pharisees want to talk about divorce, Jesus wants to talk about marriage, and every sensible pastor who receives a phone call from someone who says, can I please come and talk to you about divorce, will say, well, let's talk about marriage first. That's what Jesus is doing here. Now, I don't need to tell you how very complicated all of this is. I don't need to tell you that there's a whole debate going on out there in the culture at the moment about what is male and what is female. And of course there are arranged marriages and there are child brides and there are divorce issues and remarriage questions. So I mean, just think for a moment this morning about those people who are thinking what on earth to do in a marriage that's become really dysfunctional where lots of mistakes have been made, where people are hurting and uh, their friends are telling them to get out and the world says, well, who cares what you do? No, life is very, very complicated. But what I want you to notice this morning in Mark chapter 10 is that Jesus isn't dealing with any of that. He's simply dealing with some Pharisees who want information on the exit doors and Jesus wants to give them information on the entry doors. And that's all that's happening here. So, friends, you see, you can't take these verses and make them say what they're not saying. Uh, The GWC students are busy writing their exams at the moment and enjoying them enormously. And uh, if you ask them afterwards over coffee, they will tell you that when we're trying to teach the Bible, we are not to take a Bible passage and try and make it say what we want. Equally, we're not to take a Bible text and make it say what other people want. And we're not to take a Bible text and make it say everything that has ever been said on that particular subject. No, we're meant to be taking the text as it is in front of us and without putting our own personal lens or agenda on top of it, we're meant to be hearing what the biblical author is trying to tell us. In this case, Mark. So I think when we're teaching the Bible, this is just an aside, this is an extra bonus point for you this morning, when we're teaching the Bible... A really good discipline is to imagine that the biblical author 
is sitting behind us and at the end of the sermon or the Bible study or whatever it is, we want Mark to come to us and say, thank you, because your message was my message. What we absolutely don't want, students, I hope you'll back me up here, is that Mark comes up to the preacher or the Bible study leader at the end of the session and says, where did that come from? I never wrote that. I can't see that in the text. And I say that because it's especially relevant when we look at verses 10 to 12. Please put your nose on verses 10 to 12, where we see what Jesus does say and what Jesus does not say. So here he's indoors with the disciples. This is private tuition for them. They're still discussing divorce and remarriage. And this is what Jesus says, and it's a shock. Jesus says, anyone, actually literally in the original it's any man, who divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. What Jesus is saying there is, I want you to know that men can't get off the hook with Deuteronomy 24. Don't wave that flag. And Jesus goes on, and if she, the wife, divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, no one was teaching that in the synagogues then, and dare I say, very few people are teaching it in churches today. Now, I know we can go much more widely in the New Testament, and we know there's a lot of stuff that we have to wrestle with pastorally on this subject. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 19, there is a situation, according to Jesus, where divorce is permitted. And we also know from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that there's a situation, according to the Apostle Paul, where it might be impossible to save a relationship because your spouse wants to leave and you've tried very hard but you can't bring them back. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is dealing with here, now listen listen to me very carefully, what Jesus is dealing with here is the person who wants to get out of the marriage for trivial reasons. That's the issue. I happen to think that's pretty unusual. Uh, I know it happens in Hollywood every day of the week. But I don't think it happens here very often. Actually, as it happens, I did hear one particular example. Uh, Gillian was telling me about it during the week. But I think it's unusual for people to want to get divorced for trivial reasons. So that means, you see, we're not meant to be reading... Uh, Mark chapter 10 as a kind of stick to beat beat ourselves up with. At the same time, I also think Bishop Ryle is absolutely right in his comment on this text when he says, if the reason is trivial and the divorce should not have taken place, well, remarriage is adultery. I think that's right as well. So, can you see in the text that Jesus is putting the man and the woman on equal footing? Uh, Jesus is saying that he might be as guilty as her and she is as responsible as him. And that's the foundation that Jesus 
is laying down here. Is he being hard-hearted? No. Jesus says this because he's big-hearted. He wants what's good for people. He wants what's good for children. He wants what's good for society. And he wants what glorifies God. And friends, can I ask us to please remember this morning that this is his world. He made it. And therefore, you and I don't get to redefine marriage any more than we get to redefine oxygen. All we get to do is to recognise it, observe it, and thank God for it. Neil Ferguson is the Professor of Modern History at Harvard. And he's written a book called Civilization. Uh, A few years ago it was made into a rather good television series. And in the book he looks at several factors which he believes account for the strength of Western democracy for the last 500 years. And he identifies eight of those key factors. And the very interesting this, the climax of the book is the last chapter which looks at Protestant Christianity and the influence that Christianity has had in the West. And according to Neil Ferguson, it's the most impressive and important factor of the lot. Now I think that's interesting because Neil Ferguson is not a Christian. But he says, and this is very interesting right at the moment, he says that the Chinese have started to realise that Protestant Christianity has been foundational to the success of Western democracy for the last 500 years. And it's giving them a bit of a problem. It's put them into a tension between their traditional hostility and opposition to Christianity and uh, perhaps the recognition that they ought to permit it. But then at the very end of the book, Professor Ferguson makes this fascinating comment. He says, now listen, if the West, which is now crumbling, is to learn the lesson which China is starting to learn, the value of Protestant Christianity, we will need a foundational text for our society. Isn't that an interesting comment from a non-Christian? And I would have thought that the foundational text is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's right here in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus says, have you seen what God says about marriage and divorce? In other words, have you read your Bible? So, here is Jesus in Mark chapter 10 dealing with some cynical, hostile people who come to him and say, is it possible that we can find some easy ways out of marriage? And Jesus says, no. Well, much more briefly, the the second question raised in the passage is, is there room in God's kingdom for people with no qualifications? And it's the famous section, isn't it, where we hear the Lord Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. There are a couple of nice surprises in the passage. Uh, So, for example, the original of verse 13, do have a look at it, uh, says, Some men 
kept on bringing little children to Jesus. There's only a detail, but isn't that lovely? Uh, It seems that the dads, rather than the mums, kept on bringing children to Jesus. Wouldn't it be marvellous if we saw more dads doing that on Sundays today? You know, not skipping church to go to the gym uh, or to have a couple of extra hours lying in bed, but actually taking responsibility for bringing their children to church to learn about Jesus. But then at the end of verse 13, the disciples were rebuking them. The dads kept coming, the disciples were rebuking them. And uh, in this section then of the the chapter, the problem is not the Pharisees, it's the disciples. Uh, The men or the dads who are bringing the children want Jesus to touch them, uh, which means to lay hands on them, to bless them. The disciples don't want Jesus to be bothered by the children. And why is that? Why is that? Well, we learned it last week, didn't we? The reason the disciples don't want Jesus to be bothered by the children is that they don't think children are significant. They think they're insignificant because that was how people thought about children in that culture. In Jesus' day, children were not thought to be really important uh, or cute uh, or innocent or humble. They were considered to be insignificant. But not by Jesus. Jesus considers them to be highly significant. So that's why Jesus is indignant, notice that word, with the disciples. It's a very strong word in the original language. It actually means that Jesus was angry. He was angry with the disciples. I think that's rather striking, isn't it? Why was Jesus angry with them? Well, the answer's in verse 15, where Jesus takes the opportunity to teach all the adults and to teach you and me this morning. And Jesus basically says, look, if adults would only consider themselves insignificant, helpless, with no qualifications, just like these children, If adults would only come to me like that, they would get this. Do you see in the text? Jesus puts his arms around the children. Do you understand, says Jesus? If adults come like that, they get this. Because you see, that's the way to come into the kingdom and there isn't another. It's coming to King Jesus with the attitude, I have no qualifications whatsoever. And just in case there is anybody here this morning or anybody listening to the tape and you think that, well, one day when you come face to face with the Lord Jesus, that you're going to be able to show him some pretty impressive qualifications and he'll let you in, I need to say that's not going to happen. It's impossible. None of our qualifications are are sufficient to earn any of us a place in God's kingdom. And for those who think, well, I don't have anything to boast about yet, but I'm working on it. Give me a little bit more time. I need to say, you'll you'll never do it. You'll never come up 
with qualifications sufficiently impressive to get into the kingdom. But don't despair. Don't despair. Simply go to Jesus as someone with no qualifications at all and say to him, Lord Jesus, I come with my sin and myself and nothing else. And you see, as soon as you come to him like that, his arms go around you. And you have become a member of his kingdom. Because you see, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is putting the best possible boundaries in place. And uh, then he's putting the best door in place. And uh, he's putting the boundaries in place to protect vulnerable people and he's putting in the door to welcome everyone who believes and comes to him empty-handed. So are these the works of someone who is loving and powerful? Of course they are. Because Jesus is on the road to the cross at this point in Mark's Gospel. And it's through his death on the cross and his resurrection that Jesus will be able to establish the boundaries of protection and the open door for everyone who believes. So let's thank him together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your character which we see displayed so beautifully in this passage. Wise, wonderful, strong, loving. We thank you for showing us your compassion in the welcome that Jesus gives to little children. And we pray that you would give us grace to respond to your welcome with humility and gratitude and confidence and faithfulness. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.